Hey Google, what's the meaning of life? Life, noun, the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death. Also, 42. What? Hey Google, what's the meaning of life? According to the late 20th century philosophers, Bill and Ted, life's purpose is to be excellent to each other. And party on. But that's just two dudes' opinions. Sweet. Hey, glad you are with us this morning. Um, I, I think I'll address the elephant in the room to begin with, which is, Steve, what happened to your head? Um, and, and luckily, it's not that noticeable, right? You can hardly see it at all. Uh, I, we're doing some remodeling in the garage. In fact, I was telling my friend Jeremy we had started the project, and Jeremy said, oh, you're doing the work yourself, huh? Thank you. Appreciate that. I took a two by four right to the head as I was pulling on it to get the wall down and, and I walked in bleeding and my family's used to that. But I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. Try to ignore it. It's hard not to ignore it. Hey, this morning we're going to talk about the meaning of life. And the meaning of life, when you ask Google that, one of the answers was 42. Did everybody catch that? The an- meaning of life is 42. Does anybody know what that's from? Somebody? Anybody? It's from a super geeky book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, talks about this. The question in the book is posed to a, uh, the question is this, what is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything? And they give this question to a supercomputer. And the supercomputer's name is Deep Thought. And Deep Thought ponders that question for six and a half million years. And at the end of six and a half million years, Deep Thought says, I have an answer, and everyone gathers around, and the answer from Deep Thought after six and a half million years is this, you're not going to like the answer, it's 42. And that's the answer for the meaning of life. Now, today we are going to finish uh, our series about Solomon, and he was the man who had it all, right? And we're going to look at, today I'm going to answer the question, what is the meaning of life? Which, you know, I'm going to do it in 30 minutes, and we're going to get it done. No big deal. The biggest question in the history of questions, I'm going to answer it. But you are not going to like the answer, is what I'm going to tell you ahead of time. You are not going to like the answer. But we're going to dive into it anyway this morning. So if you've got notes, pull them out. If you've got a Bible, get it ready. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Love to run through this with you together. The first Thing, the meaning of life, everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Are we ready? I told you you weren't going to like the answer. Here's how it goes. Ready? We're going to do this. This is a one-week message on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, so if you don't have your Bibles open, go to Ecclesiastes. It's the book right after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes is one of the most confusing books in the Bible, but it's also one of the most profound books in the Bible, and it's actually one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, But today's message is going to mess with some of you. Some of you who like life to be neat and tidy, if I do A, then B will happen every single time, this book is going to mess with you, because that's not always true. Some of you are going to embrace Ecclesiastes and you're going to appreciate this because it acknowledges, Ecclesiastes acknowledges that there's chaos in this life. And you're like, Steve, I don't want to hear another sermon about if I just do this, then my life will work out and everything will make sense. Because honestly, sometimes it doesn't make sense. It's messed up. It's meaningless. So let's jump into it this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're in... uh, Ecclesiastes 1, starting in verse 1 through 8, and here we go. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. 
Everything is what, people? Meaningless, says the teacher. Completely what? Absolutely. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and then it hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then it turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is what? Wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never what? Never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not what? We are not content. Now, this book is written by Solomon, the teacher. He was the man who had it all. If you remember, he had everything anyone could ever want in life. He had wisdom. He had women. He had riches. He had fame. He had power. But as we'll see in this book that he wrote, it's all he still sort of found it meaningless. The word meaningless in Hebrew is the word hevel. Say hevel. Hevel. And it literally means vapor or smoke. Um, it's translated in my Bible as meaningless. Um, some of you with other translations, it could be emptiness. In the King James Version, it's vanity. But I heard one scholar say probably the best word to use is absurd. Life is absurd. Would you agree with me? Sometimes it's just absurd. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but I think that picture of smoke or vapor or how many people drove in the fog this morning, right? And it seems like it's engulfing you, but really it's nothing. Anybody ever flying in an airplane when you're landing, you're on final approach or you're taking off and you go through a fo- like a big cloud, like a dense cloud that looks like poof, it's just a pillow in front of you. And when you get into the cloud, what is it? It's nothing. It's just water in the air like it's it's nothing you fly right through it as if it was nothing right and so you hit it and you say what what in the world was that right that's what Solomon was saying he's saying I've got it all but what the hevel like that's I don't what 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 is it what is it all about and maybe some of you are asking what is the point of this life like what's the point I had a conversation with my father-in-law a while back And it was a great conversation for me. It's really meant a lot to me over the time. He told me this. He said, listen, Steve, in your 20s, you believe or you told you can do anything. You can be anything. Anybody ever been told this? You can do anything. You can be anything, right? By the way, you can't, just so you know. Uh, but, But we're told that. In our 30s, we spend most of our 30s working our tail off to be that thing that we thought we should be in our 20s. If you blink, your 30s will be gone and you're like, where did it go? You were just working your tail off believing you could be what they told you you could be. And in our 40s, you begin to ask the question, what's the point? Like, what's the point of all this? Why am I working so hard? Why am I I trying so hard at all this stuff? You start to say, what the hell? Like, what in the world is the deal with this? In our 50s, you begin to accept your lot in life, and you just think, well, I guess this is my life. I have no idea what happens in your 60s or 70s. Somebody email me and tell me that, okay? Like, I got no idea what happens after that. But, but, but it really stuck with me, because it seems like Solomon is in his 40s, and he's starting to ask that question. What the hell? Like, what is this about? And here are his conclusions, and you are not going to like the answers. Are you ready? We're going to go through a jet tour through Ecclesiastes. Here's the first thing. Wisdom is meaningless. Wisdom is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 1, 17 and 18 says this. So I set out to learn everything from what? Wisdom to madness and folly. 
but I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like what? Chasing the wind. This is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. You, get, you people got to preach with me. I'm not doing this alone. The greater my wisdom, the greater my Grief, there you go. To increase knowledge only increases what? Sorrow. Ecclesiastes as a book comes right after the book of Proverbs. And both of these books in the Bible are what we call wisdom books. They're wisdom literature. And Proverbs, while you're reading Proverbs, can sometimes seem like a book of promises. Almost like it's a book of guarantees. If you do this, then then this will happen. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 3.10 says... Honor the Lord with your first fruits, work hard and be honest, and God will bless you with wealth, honor, and riches. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Like, I'd like that. Proverbs 6 6 says, Work hard like the ant and save money like the beaver, and you'll have lifelong riches that you'll be able to leave to your children. Well, I, that sounds like a good plan. I think I'd like to do that. Proverbs 22 6 says, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, Proverbs is good wisdom. Like, it's all good wisdom. And if you live your life by these principles in Proverbs, oftentimes it'll lead you to success. But not always. It just, it won't always work like that. Some of you are like, Steve, I worked hard, I saved, I tithed, and and then the stock market crashed, and I lost my retirement anyway. Uh, you'll say, I, I ran my business with integrity. I was above board on everything. I, I paid the taxes. I didn't do anything under the table. And your business failed anyway. Some of you will say, well, I, I pursued marriage in the right way, God's way. And my spouse cheated and, and, and left me. And, and you say, Steve, I, I, I did the best I could. I, I raised my child in the way they should go. And when they were old, they did depart from it. Those little punks. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't always work that way. In all those wisdom in the world, you can follow all the wisdom in the world and it can still be meaningless. All right, let's see what else. Pleasure is meaningless. Pleasure is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 3 says this. I said to myself, come, let's try what? Pleasure. Let's look for the what? The good things in life. Treat yourself. You know what I'm talking about? Do your thing. Um, I, I, but I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with what? All of Lodi said, wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Now, I, I need you to remember, Solomon had everything. Everything in Solomon's house was in, encrusted in gold. He had gold toilets. He had gold. Everything was gold, right? He had a thousand wives. L- Solomon literally had a thousand sexual options every night. I have no idea how that worked. I don't want to know how that worked. It seems like a recipe for disaster. But he had that. He had uh, Solomon, if you put it in today's terms, he had a 75-inch flat panel in the bathroom right? He had, uh, he had everything you could want. He had a new pair of Air Jordans for every day in the week. If he wanted barbecue, they would fly it in from Kansas City to him. Does that make sense? He had every pleasure you could possibly want, but it's never enough. It's never enough. It reminds me of what uh, the philosopher and poet Drake said. 
Do you, everybody know who Drake is? If you don't know who Drake is, he's a hip-hop artist. But, but I read this in an interview on him, and I thought it was super interesting. There was a point where I felt like I needed to keep the company of a different woman every night. I was trying to fill a void. But in those moments after sex, I know it wasn't working. Those quiet moments are the realest moments a man will ever have in this life. The next day, I'd convince myself to do it again. But during that time, I knew it wasn't working. Pleasure is meaningless. All right, keep going. Work is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 and 19 says this. I have come to hate all my hard work here on earth. For I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How what? Meaningless. Now, do you guys know this is happening right now in our world? I don't, how many people have heard or read in the news about this thing called the Great Resignation? Does everybody, anybody know about this? You people should read the news a little more often, okay? The Great Resignation is this thing that's happening out in the work world right now. Um, it, 20 million employees, 20 million people lost their job in April and May of last year during the pandemic. And there was this thought that they were all going to come back to work, right? The economy is trying to recover. Um, unemployment benefits are running out. And everybody thought, well, the unemployment's running out. They're all going to go back to work. But it isn't happening right now. Instead, people are quitting. In record numbers, people are quitting their jobs. In August, 4.3 million people quit their jobs. In September, another 4.4 million people quit their jobs. They're calling it the Great Resignation. And I read one guy's analysis of it, and he said this. I think we've really met a once-in-a-generation thing that says, take this job and shove it. We're having this once-in-a-generation, take this job and shove it moment. Now, what is that about? I think there are a lot of people who are saying, listen, I work hard, but I don't get paid enough. I think there are people who are saying, I work hard, but that idiot got promoted and I didn't. I work hard, but... I can't get any time off because nobody else will work. What's the deal? I think there are people who are saying, I work hard and I get paid good, but I hate my job. And what's the point? Um, And maybe, maybe you stay at your job. Maybe you stay and you keep working hard and you work hard for a lifetime and then you retire. And you know what happens when you retire? They will say, thank you very much. By the way, there's cupcakes in the break room today, but they will have your job up on Indeed by the end of the week. What's the point? Why why am I killing myself at work? What the hell? It's all meaningless. All right, what else is meaningless? Justice is meaningless. Justice is meaningless. It says in uh, Ecclesiastes 3.16, I also noticed that under the sun there is evil in the where? Courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. So let's say you decide to dedicate your life to others, right? Let's say you, you, you say, I'm going to make sure that other people are treated fairly. That's what I want to do. I will take up the cause of the poor. I will take up the cause of the homeless. I will take up the cause of the orphan. I won't live for me. I'll live for others. I'll fight for them. I will fight for the least of these. Listen to what it says a little bit later on in Ecclesiastes 5.8. It says this. Don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. 
For every official is under orders from higher up, and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. It's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. Some of you are thinking right now, why did I come to church today? Like, this, this is not good. Well, let's keep going because success is meaningless. Did you know that? Success is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 4.4 4 says, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they what? Envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless. Like what? Like chasing the wind. Throughout Ecclesiastes, we see the teacher will uh, acknowledge that we can't control things. You have no control. In fact, there's nothing that you can do that will guarantee success. In fact, there's a whole section, a little part of it, Ecclesiastes, that talks about the role of luck and chance in, in success. You can't control it. But let's say you do make it. Let's say you're super successful. Let's say that everybody thinks, wow, man, you're, you're such a success. Let me ask you, now what? Now what? What do, what do I do now? Like some people will look around and they'll say, well, well, this guy's just a little bit more successful than me. And so I'll just keep working and I'll put in 80 hour work weeks and I'll try and catch him. Really? Like what the hevel? I, what, what is that about? Success is meaningless. You know what else is meaningless? Power is meaningless. Power is meaningless. Are you guys noticing a trend here? Power is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 4, 13 through 16 says this. It is better to be what? Poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king, even though he has been in prison, which would be quite a story if that was true. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand up around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. So it is all... Meaningless, like what? Like chasing after the wind. You got power now? You're finally at the top of the food chain? You, you climb the ladder and people know your name and they're waiting, they're hanging on your every word? Guess what? Somebody's going to replace you and probably sooner than you think. It's all meaningless. This sermon stinks, Steve. I know, right? Like this is terrible. What the hell? Wealth is meaningless. Wealth is meaningless. Look at what it says in uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 10 and 11. Those who love money will never have what? Never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you what? Well, thanks for that. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? I read a statistic that showed, and, and this is well documented, for example, the people who have their basic needs met, they have their basic needs met financially, are indeed happier than those who do not. Um, those people who live below the poverty line are less happy than those who have their basic needs met. But get this, there is a, uh, a number where people have their basic needs met and they have just a little bit in savings. In fact, I think the number for America was right around $75,000 a year combined income. If you have $75,000 a year combined income in your family, th- uh, that after that, there is literally no correlation at all between happiness and income. None. Not a single bit. And the interesting thing is, is that we know that suicide rates are higher amongst the rich. Depression rates 
are higher amongst the rich. Um, And it proves that increasing your money does not increase your happiness. Uh, it, It says, if you look at the next passage there, there's another serious tragedy I've seen under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives some people what? Great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want. But then he doesn't give them the chance to what? Enjoy those things. They die. And someone else, even a stranger, ends up enjoying their wealth. This is a what? Even if you have it, even if you've got the wealth, you may not get to enjoy it. Meaningless. Which leads me to life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. Take a look at this. Ecclesiastes 9, 3 through 6 says this. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course for they have what? No hope. There is nothing ahead but what? Death anyway. There is hope only for the living. As they say, it is better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Nobody ever puts that on a coffee mug. Have you noticed that? Nobody ever puts that on a coffee mug. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all long gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. We're all going to die. The wise are going to die and the foolish are going to die. The wealthy are going to die and the poor are going to die. The successful are going to die and the unsuccessful are going to die. Guess what? You came in naked and you're leaving naked too. Did you know that? That's how it works. It doesn't matter how much you accomplish. You're going out like you came in. I heard this even starts before death. Uh, I heard Jerry Seinfeld. Everybody know who Jerry Seinfeld is? He had a show about nothing. That's what his show was about. It was about Hevel. It was just about nothing. And he, wrote, he talks about this in one of his shows. He talks about, um, your, do you know your last birthday and your first birthday are basically the same? Does anybody know this? Your last birthday and your first birthday, right? In your last first day, birthday and your first birthday, you just kind of sit there, right? And you don't really know what's going on. Huh? What's happening? Huh? Nobody knows what's, what's going on at all, right? You're the least excited person at the party. First birthday and your last birthday, you're the least excited person at the party. In fact, you don't even realize there's a party going on. What's happening? What's happening here, right? You know, and, and it's true of your first birthday and your last People help you blow out your candles because you can't, you can't do it, right? You don't even invite the people to your party. At your first birthday and your last birthday, other people invite people to your party and they tell you these are your friends. You're like, really? These are my friends? Yes, these are your friends. Thank them for coming to your birthday party. Thank you for coming to my birthday party. Your first birthday and your last birthday, it's the same exactly thing. You don't know what's going on, right? And, and here's the interesting thing. You go out just like you came in. You go out just like you came in. No matter what you accomplish in this life, in death and even in old age, really, you can't really enjoy it. So what the hell? Like, what is this all about? Um... Some of you are thinking, Steve, this is the worst sermon ever. And I would agree with you, except don't blame me. This is not my sermon. Solomon is the one who wrote this. And so I want you to see how this ends up. Here's the point. Everything under the sun is meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we... No, we're not going to close in prayer yet. That phrase, under the sun, matters. And I'll tell you why. 
Under the sun is repeated 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And that's important because get this. If all you have in this life is this life, then it's meaningless. If all you have in this life is this life, this world, these things, they are all meaningless. Solomon is not wrong in this book. But get this, there's something more. There's some things that are not under the sun, that are above the sun and above the horizon. And so that leads me to what? So what, Steve? What do I do with this? How do I make sense of this for my life, the meaning of life? The book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. Um, But there are two voices in the book. There are two voices in the book. There is the Eeyore voice. How many Eeyore and Pooh, right? Everybody knows? There's the Eeyore voice in the book that goes, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And then there's the Pooh Bear voice, which Pooh is sort of upbeat and trying to make sense of things. Pooh is the one, there's this second voice. And so there's this author of the book and an editor of the book. Now, nobody exactly knows who the editor of the book is. There are some theologians who think that maybe Solomon is both voices. Like that he came back and read all the meaningless stuff that he wrote later in life and he injected in some stuff to to bring some conclusions. He drew some conclusions. So I gathered up, I went through the book all the way through several times and I pulled out the passages where this author, this other voice, this Pooh Bear voice, kind of makes some conclusions and I want to show you the recurring themes of the meaning of life. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Enjoy your work. Enjoy your work. Uh, It says in Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 25, so I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy what? Food and drink and to find what? Satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of who? God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? Get your grub on and do what you love. Get your grub on and do what you love. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard this quote. It's been around forever. Mark Twain said, find a job you enjoy doing and you will never have to work a day in your life. You'll never have to work a day in your life. Work is from God. The process of work and even the production of some of those work things are meaningless. They're they're just going to happen and maybe, but you can enjoy the work. You can enjoy the work. You can feel satisfaction from your work. You can even see the fruits of your labor, even if you can be replaced. It's so funny. Yesterday, I was yanking on a wall, and I pulled a two-by-four into my forehead, which bled profusely. And at the end of the night, you know what I did? I still went into the project, and I went, look, it looks good. I did a good job. I have a knot on my head, but I did a good job. Like, like work has value, right? I'm, I'm begging you, do something you love. Do something you love. Do something you are good at. And do it someplace that you feel a connection to that God can use you at. If you aren't doing that right now in your job, I'm going to encourage you to think about a change. Now, hold on a second. Don't quit your job tomorrow and say, Steve said so. He said to go do it. Uh, I'm not telling you quit your job tomorrow. You may have to do some training to get ready for a new career. You may need to do some networking to find out who you can get some. Some of you can get your job. Don't just quit your job. You got to eat still. I understand that. You need a plan. But if you're not, don't enjoy your work. Don't endure it. Enjoy your work. Don't just endure every day that you spend so many of those hours at work. 
Ecclesiastes 3.22 says, So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be, what? Happy in their work. That is, that is our lot in life. And no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. So enjoy your work. Enjoy your wealth. Enjoy your wealth. Ecclesiastes 5.18 and 19 says this, Even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is what? Good. It is good for people to, say it, eat. What else? Drink. And what else? You seeing a theme here? Under the sun during the short life God has given them. And to accept their light in life. And it is a good thing to what? Receive wealth from God and the what? And the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from who? God. Get your grub on. Enjoy your work and enjoy your wealth and health for as long as you have it. Um, these are all gifts from who? They're gifts from God, right? Let's face, can we just face it? Can we have a heart to heart here? We're wealthy. Would you acknowledge that? We are wealthy people. You know how I know we're wealthy, right? Um, how many people here have gas in your car right now? Right now, with the price of gas, the gas that you have in your car is probably worth enough to feed a third world country child for six months. Do you know that? What's up with the price of gas right now? But the truth of the matter is, is we're wealthy. We, we have it. Um, it's okay to enjoy your wealth. It's okay. Enjoy it. Tithe back to God. If you're not giving back to God and he's not blessing your wealth, well, that's probably why. Be generous with your wealth. But honestly, enjoy the gift that God has given you in your wealth. Let's enjoy your pleasure. Enjoy your pleasure. Oh my gosh, are you noticing a trend here? You starting to see a trend? Ecclesiastes 8.15 says, So I am re- recommend what? I recommend having fun. I do too. There is nothing better for people in this world to what? Eat, drink, and what else? Enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with the hard work God gives them under the sun. Are you noticing a trend here? Everything that I'm putting up in the so what section, these are all the same things that are meaningless apart from God. They're meaningless apart from God. But with God, they are a gift to be enjoyed. These are things that we can enjoy. Have some fun. Go skydiving. Go to a movie or a concert or a play or, or play some golf unless you play golf like I do. I play golf just enough to be frustrated by golf. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like I play just enough to be frustrated with every shot. Golf takes all day. Do you know that? It takes like five hours and then by the time you're done, you're like, what did I do today? All I did was walk around looking for my ball. That's all I did all day, all right? And I lost several balls and yeah. But if you enjoy golf, go play golf. Enjoy it. Have some fun. Enjoy pleasure. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9 says this. So go ahead. Eat your food with what? Joy. Drink your wine with what? A happy heart for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of calogny. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is a reward for all your earthly toil. Food, drink, money, sex, fun. They're all good. They're all good. But they won't give you meaning in life apart from God. They won't give you any meaning in your life apart from God. Guys in your 20s, verse 8 is for you. 
It says, wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Take your hoodie off. Turn your baseball cap the right way around. Take a shower and use some of that Axe body spray or something. Watch how fast you get a girlfriend. It's unbelievable, okay? Uh, You're welcome. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Enjoy the seasons of life. Enjoy the seasons of life. This is one of the most famous passages from Ecclesiastes. I love this passage. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the very beginning, it says, For everything there is a season. There is a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to what? Die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to... A time to tear down and a time to... A time to cry and a time to what? A time to grieve and a time to... That's right. According to Ren McCormick from Footloose, there is a time to dance. Am I the only one that gets that 80s movie reference? Nobody reacts to that. Footloose. Never mind. Okay. Uh, that, it's unbelievable. I see so many people. Can I just tell you, this is sort of a thing for me. I see so many people that are miserable. That are miserable. And it's because they are longing for the past or they are waiting for some future they think is coming for them. Can I tell you something? You are only young once. Enjoy it. Remember when you were young? You used to be able to chug a two liter Mountain Dew full sugar, full caffeine and drink it and you wouldn't put on an ounce, right? Right? Now I look at a chocolate chip cookie. I'm like, dang. <laughs> Enjoy that. Use, young families. Right now you have these little kids and they are driving you crazy and they are taking all of your energy and sapping all of your strength. And you are like, you, you kids are driving me crazy. Go to your room. I don't want, and, and can I just tell you something? They're going to grow up before you know it and you are going to miss this stage of life. You'll miss it. For those of us who are older, we get to this older age in our life and, and our back hurts all the time. Does that happen to you? I, I go to bed at night and I wake up in the morning. And I'm like, oh, my back. All I did was sleep. And suddenly my back hurts. I'm getting out of bed like, oh, I'm old. Right? And, and, but let me tell you something that comes with age. You got a little bit of money. You got a little bit of wisdom. You got a little more freedom than you used to have in your old days. Like, use those things, Right? Hire somebody to demo the wall so you don't take a two-by-four into your forehead. You know what I'm saying? Grandparents, take the grandkids out for the day, load them with sugar, and send them home. That is your gift in life at this stage in life. Does that make sense? Like, embrace the seasons of life. There's nothing sadder than somebody who is holding on so desperately to the last season of life. Or somebody that is just can't wait and thinks, well, my life it hasn't really begun yet. Um, take the advice of the great philosopher Andy Bernard from The Office. Andy Bernard said this in one of those episodes, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. Somebody should write a song about that. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 through 13 says this. It says, so I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor for these are gifts from God. And the point of all of that, the point of all of it is this. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment. Ecclesiastes 5.20 says this. 
God keeps such people so busy, what? Enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. People, if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this. Fear and anxiety are being worried about tomorrow. Regret and depression is about being rooted in yesterday. Now listen, I am not trying to make light of it. Anxiety and depression are real and they are overwhelming. And if you need help, get the help. But today is all we really have. There is joy in today and in this moment only. Enjoy this moment right here, right now. Think about it. Right here, right now. Where are we? We're at church. We are in a heated building and it is cold and nasty out there. Am I right? Right? You are sitting next to some genuinely good people. Look around. Look around at the people near you. There are some genuinely good, not that guy at the end of the row, but you know what I'm talking about. There are some genuinely good people around here, genuinely nice people. Uh, You are probably going to lunch. Go to lunch someplace that has great food. Do not do this after church. I don't know, where do you want to go? I don't know, where do you want to go? I don't know, where do you want to go? Pick some place that you love eating and go there. You're going to go there with people that you like and enjoy the meal with them, right? And do that. Tonight you will sleep in a cozy bed. Some of your spouses will take your covers. I understand that. But you will sleep in a cozy bed. Enjoy some music, some tunes. Crank it up on the way out of the parking lot. Um, and, And right now, can I tell you right now, the God of creation, the God who spoke everything into existence is right here with us in this room. And he is calling your name. He loves you. He's been pursuing you. And he wants a relationship with you. I don't know that there's... Can I just tell you in the first service, we had a 92-year-old get baptized. Enjoy this moment. Because when the meaning of life hits for a 92-year-old, he says, I need to get baptized. And that's what he did. Enjoy this moment. Because God is reaching out through the hevel to you. Here's the last thing. Seek God who is above the meaningless. God is above all this meaninglessness. He's above the hevel. He, it's in the last few verses of Ecclesiastes, the last couple of verses, the editor, the pooh bear, sums it up like this. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. It is to fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for Everything we do, including every single secret thing, whether good or bad. Can I tell you something? Some of the things that you go through, you will never have answers to under the sun. You just won't know. Um, It may seem meaningless to you. And, And here on earth, you may never know the purpose of what God is doing in that situation. But you will never find true meaning under the sun. The only place you will find true meaning... Is from the one who is above the sun, the one who is above the meaningless, the one who is above the hevel. And if you are living a life without God, you're here today and you're living a life without God, you're just checking it out, and you're feeling like, what is the point to this life? Does any of this even matter? I would say that it is meaningless without God. But if you know God, and you can know God starting today, if you know God, it can become meaningful. This life under the sun becomes a gift that was meant to be enjoyed. I told you the meaning of life was 42, according to the supercomputer, Deep Thought. 
And I saw this thing online. I'm not claiming it to be biblical truth in any way, shape, or form, but I thought it was interesting. You know, in the Bible, the number seven represents completeness. It represents God's word, represents completeness. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful number that, that has meaning in the Bible. In the Bible, the number six represents humanity and weakness and our flesh. And if you multiply seven by six, you get 42. The word became flesh. And the flesh dwelt among us. God sent his son into these weak, frail, sinful bodies. And he lived a perfect life. And he died a death for you and was raised again on the third day that you might be able to live a life of meaning. A life above the hevel. 42 is the meaning of life if you equate it to Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, I, I, I'm, even as I read this book, and I love this book, God, I, I understand how meaningless this life can seem to those who are gathered here today. There's people going through real hurts and heartaches, and they're feeling like life is meaningless right now. God, I pray that you would cut through that, that you would show them that you have this life as a gift for them if they will just embrace you, that they will look to you and make sense out of this meaningless life through you, God. I pray that you would cut through the fog, the, the, the vapor and the mist, and that we would see you clearly, God, that we would understand that with you, life has meaning and wealth and health and work and food and pleasure, and all those things are a gift from you, God. May we live in the moment and enjoy those things as a gift from you, God. But the only reason they have meaning is because we see them in light of you. Father, let us never try to go through this life on our own trying to make sense of it without you and without your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his powerful name. Amen.